Uh, my name is David Burke. I'm the director here at the house. I know that there's a few people that are here for the first time, and uh, we just want to welcome you. I want to especially welcome the people on the balcony, um, because we know it's hot up there, and um, thank you. Um, we're trying our best to give you water bottles and uh, fans and all that kind of stuff and ice-cold towels and um, free iPod minis and um, all that. So you may want to sit in the balcony next week. Who knows? It could be an iPad. Um, so anyway, welcome to the house. We're doing this series called uh, Felt Bored Jesus. And... That sounded like a dog barking, but um, felt more Jesus is this idea that in Sunday school, if you grew up going to Sunday school, and by the way, I shared a little bit last week, I did not, I did not grow up, I didn't step foot in a church until I was 16 and a half, I think, and uh, so all of these are new stories, these little craft things and stuff, and so I've actually had to Google like what Sunday school lessons usually do around some of these passages. Um, Google's a good thing, by the way. You should try it for your papers and tests. And um, it's a very worthwhile uh, thing on the World Wide Web. So um, anyway, we are doing this series because we realize I've got six kids at home, and every week when they bring home stuff from our church, I, I see that, that there's kind of this surface thing that we teach about, about these Bible stories. And... So I want to dive a little bit deeper into to what is the story really about what the craft project is in Sunday school and the way that maybe you've, you've heard this taught or you've heard sermons on it. And I admit that as I've revisited some of these stories and I've gone back and looked at sermons I've preached on these same stories, I've gone, wow, I think I have missed it. I think I really have. So um, and it, here's one thing about hopefully my teaching at here at the house. I don't want to make any assumptions about you all in the room. I'm going to assume that most of you were like me and you had no knowledge of these stories. So those of you that have been around church for a long time, this might sound repetitive or redundant or whatever, but I'm going to begin like we don't know anything about this story, okay? So let me give you a little bit of background. If you were here last week, you may notice that this character right here looks remarkably like Jesus. This week, he's Moses. Um, <laughs> last week, these were the clouds. This week, they're sheep. The sun stays the same. This is either a baked potato or a rock. You be the, the judge. And no, these are not fall leaves. We'll get to the story in a second. So, um, in the book of Genesis... Most of us, even if we didn't grow up in church, the book of Genesis talks about the beginnings, the beginnings of all things. And I'm going to fast forward a second. The book of Genesis ends with three different families, three different characters that make families, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the end of the book, the end of the book of Genesis, we learn that these families became more numerous and more numerous. And then we are open, turn the page into the book of Exodus, and we learn that those three families, the people, the Hebrews also called the Israelites, became extremely numerous, okay? And they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the king of Egypt was called the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh looked at the Israelites and got scared because there were so many of them. And so he did a horrible thing. He got so scared 
that he ordered the midwives, the women that birthed the babies, to kill all of the male children. And so the book of Exodus begins with this huge conflict about a large group of people, a hostile king who kills thousands upon thousands of children. Now into the midst of that story comes the birth of one baby boy who is rescued by, is saved by his mother placing him, really think about this if you were a mother, placing your child in a little boat made of reeds and setting your child out in the river, praying and hoping that he would live. Well, this is what's amazing about this story is that that, this, that little baby floats down the river, the Nile River, and the Pharaoh's daughter finds the child and then says, bring the child to me, decides to adopt the child. In another strange twist, the, the sister of Moses sees that the Pharaoh's daughter has taken her, and when the Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, I need a woman to nurse this child, the sister goes and gets the mom. So Moses' own mother nurses Moses. Okay, So Moses grows up in the, in the palace of, of the hostile king. And then one day he sees that an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew. An Egyptian is beating a Hebrew, a Hebrew slave. And Moses gets so angry, so angry that he kills the Egyptian. And it becomes known, and so Moses fears for his life, and he flees to a region called Midian, outside of the, the land of Israel. There he meets a woman named Zipporah, marries her. Her father is Jethro, and he begins to tend the flocks of Jethro. So that's the whole backstory of Moses. Like I said, if you heard it before, you're wondering why I'm going on and on. It's because I'm assuming that a lot of us don't know this background. And, and the Bible has, has an amazing way of crafting these stories because these characters are important. And it's important to know the backstory because, honestly, when you read the Bible, the God chooses some really questionable characters. Really questionable characters. It's not about how good-looking we are. It's not about how talented we are. It's not how much money we have. None of those things. Because God in Moses, as we're about to read, chooses a murderer who grew up in the house of a foreign king and enjoyed all the privileges of the palace and then became a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. So let's um, put up the scripture. On, from, this is from the book of Exodus chapter 3. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, that region we talked about. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. And Zach, if we can keep that slide kind of on, on hand. When, when, if you grew up in Sunday school, you went to Sunday school, what was the craft that you did with this story? Anybody remember? Let's, what, what, I, I Googled this. Let's take a picture. Okay, so 
You get a little piece of paper with a bunch of sticks on it, you know, blank sticks, and you put little colored pieces of tissue paper. And here's another example right, right here. So basically, and then a little kid wrote, God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. Now, in the age that we live in, and the things that kids have seen on movies and TV and all the special effects, if you go to Sunday school and you learn that story, well, what is God to you? I mean, a tissue paper out of a small shrub um, and fire somehow that doesn't burn up. And it's interesting that we turn this story to, into all about the bush. If you were to research all, this com- all the commentary scholars about this passage, everybody spends a lot of time trying to figure out what the bush was. What, what exactly, what kind of bush it was. Most people think, by the way, forgive my language, this is actually how you say it, it's the shittim tree, okay? It's Hebrew, just trust me on this, okay? So, and you can Google it, all right? I mentioned Google earlier. Uh, Google images, type in shittim tree, I am okay, at the end, just so you know, and it's actually, it's actually more of a tree than a, than a bush, but, but we talk about this, uh, this burning bush thing, and think about it in a child's mind, and yes, I understand any of you education majors are, are probably saying, well, Mr. Burke, um, you need to understand that children have a limited uh, knowledge, and they need objects and stuff, I get all that, but think about it for a moment, about what your image of God would be, is if God spoke to Moses out of that, and the story kind of ends there. So let's go back to the scripture. Um, okay, so uh, I will go over and see this strange sight where the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now I'm gonna stop there again. God first identified himself to Moses by what Moses knew. God of his fathers, God of his parents. You wanna know something that I love about ministering with your age group? and I also know is one of the most difficult challenges for you all, is that many of you have faith based on the God of your father and your mother. And that's a good thing. If you grew up in that, sometimes I wish that I had had that. But along the way, this time that you are here, I would imagine that none of you at 7.30 tonight called your parents and they told you to come here. You can raise your hand if you, if you did, but I would imagine that no one did. You are here because you are trying to figure out this God that, if you grew up in church and your parents went to church, this, this God of your father and your mother, who is this God to you? This is such a crucial time for you come to this ministry, another ministry where, where you can d- begin to dive into who this God is because if you grew up in church, you've heard a lot about him. You've heard a lot of stories. Perhaps your parents talked about him at home and now you're wondering if the God that they talked about 
is the God that you're gonna discover in scripture and in your own life. So, um, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Now, I'm gonna take a moment. This is where my seminary education pays off, and I don't do this often, but concerned is a horrible translation. Okay, the NIV, I don't know why they used it. The word in the Hebrew is to know. God knew about their suffering. Now, why is that important? In the Hebrew language, to know something, and don't creep out on this, but to know when Adam knew his wife Eve, what did that mean? Intimacy. Intimacy. Sex. Yes. Don't freak out about God, but God, the same word to the Hebrew people meant a deep intimate knowledge. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word concern, it's like, oh, I'm concerned about that. Hmm. That's not the word. God knew deeply. He saw, he heard, and he knew deeply. He wasn't this distant God that was like, I'm somewhat concerned about that issue of my people crying out for 400 years. Somewhat concerned. That's not it. So, forgive me, NIV translators, but um, I'm concerned. I know about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them. I'm come down to rescue them. So, we're going to come back to the scripture. You know what the craft really should be? You know what the craft really should be based on this story? It shouldn't be about the burning bush. Zach, can we put up what I think that the, the, the craft should be? There's another one that's even better. This is my favorite. Um, okay, I want to notice, I, I want you to notice a few things about this. One, the guy is amazingly ripped. Um, he's holding a cross like a gun, kind of. He's got the number seven on his shoulder, if you can't see that. That's really crucial. He's wearing a mask. Why? We don't know, but... Um, Everybody knows, oh, and yes, on his belt, there is a fish symbol, a seven, and a WWJD on the belt. <laughs> so, but my point is this. I'm not serious. This should not be the craft. But the story's about God. The story is not about the burning bush. It's not even about Moses. The, the, the story's really about God. The God who sees the God who hears, the God who knows, and the God who rescues. So let's go back to the scripture and get rid of that thing. Um, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? 
Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So, this is a story about God choosing someone to be a part of his mission to restore the world. That, I believe, is the mission of God throughout all of Scripture, is to restore the world for a new creation. It involves you and me, but it also involves everything that we see, that all things will be reconciled to Christ one day. So, yes, this is a story about God choosing an unsavory and unlikely character to do that. But this is the first time that God reveals his name to his people. I am, I am, I am present. I will be who I will be, I am who I am. I have been who I have been. There is none before me and there is none beside me. I am who I am. And I stopped the scripture here, but, but Moses is so much, I, I don't know if you're like this, but, but when I was in college, I'd been a Christian for about a year, but I was taught by my dad, this philosophy professor, to question everything, everything. Don't take anything on face value, question everything. And so I can identify with Moses, if you were to go home tonight and put off studying for a, you know, about 10 minutes and read the rest of this story, you would find that Moses goes on. First he asks, well, who am I, God, to do this? And then he goes, well, okay, well, okay. So, okay, that's fine. He, you'll be with me, but hold on. What if they ask me what your name is? What am I supposed to say? And then Moses wants a sign. So God gives him a sign. Everything that, that Moses begins to ask for, he, every time he's got a question, he's got a doubt, he's got, he's got some sort of obstacle, God answers it. And then finally, God does get frustrated. He gets frustrated right after Moses says, I can't speak. I can't speak. So, and you need to know this. We don't often talk about this. We don't like to think about God being frustrated. But he does. He gets frustrated because time and time and time again, he's answering Moses' questions. He does signs in front of him, and still Moses is like, yeah, okay, but, but what about this? I can't speak. Now, there's two things that, that in looking at this passage that, that made sense to me. One, I can identify with Moses because I'm that guy that always asks a question. And I wonder how many times God gets frustrated, angry with me, because I keep on thinking that he cannot do what only he can do. And I lay before him obstacles and barriers like prove it to me, prove it to me, prove it to me. The second thing I can identify with is that, that with my children, there is a certain limit to my patience when I ask my children to do something. And when they ask a question back and then they go, but, but well, what about this, but what if this, what if this, there is a point at which I admit I start to go, because I said so, now go. Now here's the thing. When you go on and you read the scripture, God gets frustrated for a moment, 
and then he understands what he, he he's always understood but but he knows what Moses needs he goes you don't think you can speak then Aaron will come with you your brother Aaron will come with you and then he says and I will help you now why is this important um I see a counselor every two weeks, I'm not ashamed to admit it, and she's one of the most marvelous women in my, woman in my life in the last year and a half because she, she helps me understand a lot of the things that I'm kind of pouring out to her. And really recently, I was kind of talking about this frustration that I sometimes have with my kids when I'm like, I just feel like they're disrespecting me when I'm, when I'm trying to ask them to do something. And she says, okay, I understand you're gonna be frustrated, and sometimes you're gonna be angry. She says, every family... Every family tears apart, but the good ones go to mend them. They mend. And it was really freeing for me because I realized, one, I don't have to be a perfect father that never gets upset or frustrated. Now, I'm certainly going to work on not losing my patience with my children. That's not the point. I don't have a free license to just get upset at the drop of a hat. But when I do lose my patience or my temper with them, I need to remember that the good families mend. And that's what I see God do in Exodus 3. If you go on and you read it, he says he gets frustrated, but he says, but I will help you. He goes and he mends. So I felt like I needed to to say that because I think that we need to realize that this God of the Bible can do anything in the world. And yet how many of us are standing in the back waiting for him and with with our questions and our doubts and are like, prove it to me, and that's not enough. You need to prove it to me again. And you can understand why he might get frustrated. But you need to know that when you feel his frustration, he's coming to men. He's coming to men. He's coming to say, okay, I will help you. There were several words that stood out for me in this scripture. When he comes to Moses out of that burning bush and he speaks to him, he says, I have seen, I have seen my people suffering. I have heard my people suffering. I know my people suffering. And I have come to rescue. I would imagine that every single person in this room, you want to be seen. You want to be seen. You want somebody to see you. When I come home from work, my kids have learned some sort of strange skill or they brought some, something from, from school or from church or something like that, they often will say, Daddy, look at me. Watch what I do. Look at me. Watch this. And at a very early age, we do that with our parents. And then you begin to learn, I think all of us begin to learn that someone isn't always going to be there to watch and so we stop but deep down inside for every single one of us we want to be seen we also want to be heard 
How many of you have been in a group of people and everybody's talking and if you're like me, you're an introvert and you're like, oh, I've got a little, I, I think it's a great story, I'd like to jump in, but I'm gonna let everybody else speak first. And, and every time you try to, someone else, an extrovert usually, um, <laughs> is like, cuts you off. And you get frustrated, right? You wanna be heard, we wanna be heard. And every single person in this room you want to be known. I mean, like, really known. Not the act that we sometimes put on in front of a group. Not the parading that we do of our talents and accomplishments or our appearance. We want to be known. The way I think about it is the way that you dress and act on a Saturday morning when you don't care what anybody says or what, what you're going to do that day. You want somebody to know you and love you like that. The other thing is that whether we know it or not, we do need to be rescued. And the hard part, the hard part, and we see it in the Bible, and we see it in our own lives, that we don't know that we need to be rescued until something really crappy happens. And then all of a sudden, we're crying out for rescue. Every single one of us wants to be seen. Well, welcome to the God who sees. Every single one of us wants to be heard. Welcome to the God who hears. Every single one of us wants to be known. Welcome to the God who knows. Every single one of us needs to be rescued. And the God that showed up to Moses on that day is the one who rescues. Let's pray together. Father, we are your children. You have called us that. And I can only imagine how patient you must be with our questions, with our doubts, with our unbelief, with our ignoring you. And yet you come. You come to raise us up. You do not leave us. You pursue us with an everlasting love. You see us. You hear us. You know us. And in Jesus Christ, you have rescued us once and for all. Lord, as we continue to discover you in the scriptures. May you jump off of that felt board and into our lives. The great I am. May we be present as you are present in us. You are near us. You never leave us. 
May we know you as the one true God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.